All right, as the offering is being passed around, let's uh, turn to Exodus chapter 12. Uh, that's where we're going to be at today. Exodus 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13, and then we're going to read verses 21 through 30. Um, I may skip around a little bit here and there in our passages, but uh, that's basically going to be um, the section of, of Scripture we're going to read this morning. So uh, Exodus 12, verses 1 through 13 says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small, for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the, the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Uh, roasted its head with its legs and inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now let's skip down to verse 21. Those were the instructions that were given to Moses by the Lord. And now we see Moses carrying out those instructions Verse 21, then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until tomorrow or until the morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. Uh, you shall observe this rite as a statue for you and for your sons uh, forever. Then if we skip down to verse 28, the people of Israel went and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And then verse 29 at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. 
And Pharaoh rose up in the, in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. When he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, or excuse me, then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So uh, another very heavy passage to read, uh, but you know we're, we're talking about the judgments of God, so a lot of these passages that we have been reading in the past few weeks, uh, several weeks, they've been pretty heavy uh, to read. Uh, but I want to start off with two questions this morning. First of all, what is the, what is the significance of the Passover? Uh, maybe you're sitting in here and, and you don't have a, a, a deep biblical knowledge of Old Testament and, and uh, maybe you don't know exactly what the Passover is um, and how it relates to us today. Uh, there are two questions that I want to answer. What is the significance of the Passover and how it relates uh, to the gospel message that we hear uh, today? Uh, again, these are the two questions that I, I will work to answer this morning. Uh, the Passover that we just read, the scripture that we just read, was brought upon Pharaoh and Egypt uh, as an act of judgment against them. And it was for their oppression of the Israelites and not letting them go and worship God as God desired them to do. So this was judgment time. God had warned Pharaoh and Egypt for a while now. He warned them and uh, now um, as uh, he, he was carrying out his judgment as he warned them. Um, and as we read this, it's... Uh, you know, a lot of people just want to picture God as love, but we also have to remember that God is just as well. Uh, he is love, but he is just and he is holy. He is all those things. Uh, so sometimes the way we depict God in our minds, well, it, it's not the correct version. But scripture gives us the correct version who God is. And we're reading about his his just his justice now. And as it pertains to his justice, or rather, it, as it pertains to his wrath, Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a fearful thing. It is a fearful, fearful, fearful thing. I added the emphasis. It doesn't say fearful that much, but it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is, it is completely fearful. I mean, you can think of your, your greatest nemesis, your greatest enemy, uh, you can think of the person that you are most afraid of. And God is infinitely more terrifying than that if you are not found in his son. Infinitely more terrifying than any, any of the, the, the scariest thing you can think of, the most fearful thing you can think of. His wrath is infinitely more terrifying than that and I do believe Hebrews 10 31 where it says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God but what's awesome is that scripture also tells us about his love and it says in Psalm 86 15 but you O Lord are a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness 
I don't know about you, but how can these two go together? In one sense, we're being told it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. On the other side, we are being told that his love is faithful and he has his steadfast love and he has his faithfulness towards us. Both are, are correct. Both are true about God. Again, remember, he is love. He doesn't love. He is love. That's what the Bible says, right? He is the definition of that. He is love. But he is also holy. He's both. And, and, and both are seen in our scripture today. Both are observed in the Passover. You see, the Passover powerfully shows the extent of both his wrath and his love. First, God pours out his righteous judgment on the Egyptians. And we see that by him causing the death of their firstborn sons. But then we see him lavish the Israelites with grace. By having death pass over them, he spares their life. So again, we see his holiness and we see his love acting together as it always does because that is who he is. See, it is with the, with the display of his righteous judgment and his perfect love that we find out the significance of the Passover and how it relates to the gospel. The Passover, is, it, it teaches us a lot about who God is and it teaches us a lot about how the final judgment will be. And, and how, how it's so, to me, it's so important to the gospel message. It's pointing to the gospel, in fact. The sermon summary for today is this. Those who trust in Christ can draw near to God with a pure heart and with full assurance of faith, knowing that they have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me repeat, repeat that because that's a lot. Those who trust in Christ can draw near to God with a pure heart and with full assurance of faith, knowing that they have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, first of all, let's talk about the Passover um, a little bit more. The Passover is the tenth and final plague that we see here in Exodus. Uh, and again, God uses the, pa- uh, the, the Passover, he uses this plague uh, to judge Pharaoh and his nation, uh, Egypt, for not letting the people of Israel go and worship the Lord. This began all the way in chapter 6 where, uh, where Pharaoh was told by Moses and that message was from God. Let my people go that they can go and worship me. And we see this that God has brought the Israelites a long way since the beginning of this book. All the way back in chapter 6 we see a low point in their lives. Whenever Moses went to Pharaoh and first told him that you need to let us go, let God's people go. I don't know if you remember, but things got a whole lot harder before they got easier. And, and, and Pharaoh made them do more work and with less time, less resources. And the people were just beat down and destroyed. They had been suffering for so long. Uh, Pharaoh had oppressed them for all these years. And now they had this... Uh, this sense of, yeah, we're going to be freed. And then they went to, and told Pharaoh, and Pharaoh made things harder for them. And they, they went to Moses, and they complained about uh, how things are now harder. And the Bible says that they were broken in spirit because of their harsh slavery. 
But in the midst of that, God made them a promise. In fact, he had already told them he would take care of them, but he reassured them of of that promise. He says, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. That was the promise that was made to the nation of Israel. That you're going to see, God's saying, you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. He may seem like he is all authority over you now. He may seem sovereign to you now. But you're going to find out who is sovereign in just a few minutes. Because I'm, my strong hand is going to be upon Pharaoh. I think that's important for us to remember because whenever we go through turmoil, whenever we go through issues, whenever we go through problems, we forget the God that we serve, just like the Israelites forgot the God that they served. And when Pharaoh came down harder on them, all they could remember and all they could focus on was their oppression and Pharaoh and how strong he was and, 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 and all that. That's all they could focus on and they forgot that the God they serve is sovereign. That the God they serve is bigger than their problem. And that's, that's something that we must never forget. Because in this life, we will have trouble, we will have difficulty, we will have all those things. But in all those things, we must remember that we serve a greater God. He is greater than all things. And, and, and nothing should knock us off course. Nothing should remove our focus from him. Uh, because it is him that we trust and it is in him that where we uh, get our salvation and our help from. So that is the first lesson that we learn in this Passover uh, story. And, and, and we see something happening to the nation of Israel from chapter 6 uh, going beyond. Because after they were, they were broken in spirit, uh, we do not see the Israelites suffer from a lack of faith. Uh, we, we don't see that after chapter 6. We see it coming up very soon. It it resurfaces. But while the plagues are going on, uh, there's no mention of the Israelites fading back in faith. Well, why? Well, because they're enjoying the mercies of God. They're seeing the strong hand of God on Pharaoh. And they're seeing the judgments of God being executed on the Egyptians. The Egyptians who have oppressed them for all these years. And they're enjoying God's mercy and grace. I mean... Come on, when things are going good, we believe, right? When things are going well, we have faith. Yeah, God is good. God is good. I got got money in my bank account. My house is not falling apart. My kids are listening. No one's in jail. Everybody is good. Hey, things are going great. I believe. But how about when the opposite is happening? That's when we really find out if we believe or not. And that's what happens to Israel. When things start to go bad, you see them revert back to blaming God for everything. But here, God has brought them a long way in that he has blessed them. He has filled them. He has given them faith. They have seen his strong hand against Pharaoh and they believe. There is no bickering. There is no complaining. As I said, that will come. But so far during the plagues, that has not occurred. So, and, and, and the reason why they're so confident and the reason why we would be so confident, too, is because what they've seen God do with his strong hand. God has turned the Nile, uh, uh, the, uh, the Nile from river to blood. He has filled the land with frogs, with gnats, with flies. Um, he has caused 
livestock to die, and to, uh, he has caused skin sores to, sores to form on the Egyptians. Uh, he made severe hell uh, fall from the sky. He, has, he, he, he sent locusts to destroy the crops of the Egyptians. And then he brought darkness over Egypt, so dark that it could be felt. And now he has struck down every firstborn male in the land of Egypt. He has done all that. And they have seen him do all that. And now they recognize, wow, the God we serve is a powerful God. He is a powerful God. He is a sovereign God. But we also see something awesome going on here in this plague as in the past plagues. The Lord, when it comes to the Passover, we see that the Lord also makes a distinction again between the Israelites and the Egyptians. His wrath towards the Egyptians and his mercy towards the Israelites. This was something that the Israelites were getting used to. They were enjoying his favor. It's wonderful to be in the favor of the Lord. And they were enjoying it and they were... Uh, again, their faith was being built. But something that we have to acknowledge is that nothing had influence on God's decision to sway him one way or the other. God in himself chose to show mercy towards the Israelites, and God in himself chose to execute his wrath against the Egyptians. I think that's something that we forget because sometimes we look at this story and we're, we're so used to we need a good guy and we need a bad guy. We, we, we need that, right? Whenever we're kids, you fight over with your friends. We're going to be the good guys. You're going to be the bad guys. Oh, I don't want to be the bad guys. I want to be the good guys, right? You watch a movie. You, rela- you try to relate to a character. At least that's what I try to do. And most of the time we try to go the good way. Who wants to be the bad guy, right? Not very many people. They want to be the bad guy. We need to pray for them right now, right? So we, we want to get on the, the, the good side because why? What, what, what's it, what is it about the good side? Well, most of the time, the good side wins. And we know that, right? The good side is going to end up winning. And, and even if they lose, they're still good guys. You see, in our story, there is no good guy. There is no, or there is a bad guy, but there is no good guy. On both sides, we have sinful people. The Israelites, sinful people. They showed their sin. The Egyptians, sinful people. What's the difference? God's choosing of the two. That is the difference. God chose for him his people, a people of, uh, for him, for his own possession, uh, a, a holy nation. He, he chose a people for himself. And it is within this group of people that he has decided to show his glory. He has given them faith that they believe in him. And God had compassion on them. Now on the other side, we see the Egyptians who did oppress the Israelites. They did not worship God. And he showed them his wrath. So we see this taking place that Nothing had an influence on God's decision to sway him one way or the other. He showed mercy to whom he showed mercy, and he had compassion to whom he had compassion. This, but one thing we do see about this plague is that it breaks faith.
Pharaoh. It finally breaks him because we've seen all these other plagues where something happens and then Pharaoh is close to repentance. He's sorry for not listening to Moses and the word from the Lord. And he says, okay, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Instead of letting you all go, let this happen. He tries to do something less and, and, and the Lord will not have it. But this time, Pharaoh is completely broken. He's defeated. And he tells Moses and the people to basically get out of here. And by the way, don't forget to ask the Lord to bless me as well. So this plague here just breaks him down and it breaks down the, uh, the nation of Egypt. And after this plague, one thing is clear, that God is sovereign over Pharaoh. That is completely clear. And, and, and that's what God that's what he was doing all along. Remember, as, we're, as we've been walking through all these plagues, God has said, I am doing this so that all will know that I am the Lord. So that everyone will know that I am the sovereign God. Pharaoh is not a God. He is merely a man. I am God alone. And with the Passover, Pharaoh acknowledges that. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows it. And nothing makes that more clear than God taking the life of Pharaoh's son. He took the life of Pharaoh's son, and guess what? There was nothing Pharaoh could do about it. God showed his sovereignty over Pharaoh by taking his firstborn son. But then we hear in the gospel story that God, God's son was also taken. But rather, instead of being taken, he was given, right? He was given to us. It's a different story from taking something and rather giving it. And God gave us his firstborn son, his only son, excuse me, his only son, uh, so that he could be death and sin for us. Um, so in other words, I'm telling you all this so that you can know that this is not only a cool story that we learn about in Sunday school or that we've been taught by our, our parents, or our grandparents, but it means something. It means something. It is very deep, and that's what I want to talk about today. What is the meaning of the Passover? Um, let's start looking at verses 1 through 4. What does the Passover mean, and how does it point us to the gospel? First of all, we see something very very special happening within the Passover, uh, the feast of the Passover, the, the celebration of the Passover. Uh, the first thing that is evident about it is that the nation of Israel is told to participate in it together. That's the first thing that we see. You see, this is not an isolated thing. This is not, hey, you go do your thing in your house, you go do thing in your house, and, and then in the morning, we'll wake up and we'll see who's still alive. It, it, was, it was nothing like that. That wasn't the instruction. In fact, it wasn't like, hey, you do your own thing, and then they'll do their own thing, and then in the morning, we'll meet up here at this rock. It, it wasn't that either. Uh, there were specific instructions from the Lord. The Lord tells Moses, he says, to tell all the congregation of Israel to participate in it, he says, every man shall take a lamb. And listen to this from verse 4, uh, chapter 12, verse 4. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor 
shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. That's the very first thing that we see um, in the instructions of the Passover is that this was to be a, a, a group thing. This was to be a family thing. This was to be all of God's people celebrating in this together. You see, it was important that the nation participated in the Passover together. It was, it's a beautiful picture of a group of sinners partaking together in a holy event. That should sound very familiar to us. In fact, it should look very familiar to us today. As we come together on the Lord's Day, we all come from, from different families as it's related to blood, but we are all one family together. Right? We are all one family together, and the, the thing that makes us family is the spirit that dwells in us. That is what makes us family. I always say you better get used to your brother or sister in Christ because you're going to see them for a very, very long time. You're going to see them on this side of heaven and then also on the other side of heaven for eternity. We are together. We are together forever. We are family. And the Bible tells us to do things together for that reason. We should be like-minded in the sense that we have God on our brain. We have God on our mind. He is the focus of our lives. We should be wanting to serve one another. We should be people who are humble in service and trying to help one another where we can and, and when we can. We should be teaching one another. We should be correcting one another. We should be doing life together for the honor and glory of God. You see, that's not just a New Testament thing. That's from the very beginning. That's from the very beginning. God intended it to be this way. And in the Passover, we see all the nation participating in it together, being like-minded, helping each other, supporting one another. Not, as I said, I'm going to do my thing, you do your thing, we'll figure it out as we go. That is not unity in the body of Christ. Unity in the body of Christ looks a lot more special than just you do your thing, you do my thing. Unity in the body of Christ means that we do God's thing together. The Passover was not for a group of a few elite people. It wasn't just for the elders of the Israelites. It wasn't just for certain important people, but rather it was for the whole assembly of God. It was for all of his people. The people were representative of his universal church that would be the beneficiaries of the crucifixion of Christ. They were a picture of us. We are here today, we are together today, again, because of the spirit that dwells in us, because we have been forgiven and we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And that is why we are here and we should do life together as they did life together. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 to 25. It says this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another 
to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. I think if you're taking notes, please write down that passage. I think that's extremely important for the church. Within that passage, we see several things that point us to the fact that we should be united as God's people. Um, One, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love that description because it involves us doing something. You ever make cake or you ever make a dessert, you have to stir the batter. If you just dump all the ingredients and put them on the table and look at the, at the bowl, nothing's going to happen. All right? Nothing's going to come together. The only way it can come together is if you grab your hand and you grab a big old spoon and you start to stir it. And as you begin to stir all this ingredients together, all these different ingredients that by themselves are, 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 you know, they're okay, but to the taste, they're not that good. Unless you like dry flour or raw eggs. Sugar, I think we can all handle, right? Sugar by itself, we can, we can handle that. But, but together, once you start mixing them together, once you start stirring them together, it makes something that is very tasteful. And that's, that's the way the church is. We are to stir each other up. That means we are to do something. We are to get involved in each other's lives. That we are to stir one another up uh, to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. That's talking about the Lord's day. It's talking about today. Not neglecting not only to meet together during the Lord's day, but also to do life together as well. So I love how the Passover meal, how the Passover celebration, how all that points to the fact that we need to be doing life together. It's intended for us to be there to support one another. The second thing that we see about the Passover that's very important is the condition of the lamb. We see that in verse 5, chapter 12, uh, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old. See, the Lord gave instruction about what type of lamb to use for the Passover. Um, The importance was that two things. It should be without blemish and it should be a male, a year old. When you look at the word blemish, it means without physical defect. In other words, what God is telling Moses to tell the people is that it should be the very best you have. You should slaughter the best you have to offer for the Passover feast. There, should, there shouldn't be any defects. You shouldn't just go and select any kind of lamb. Surely not the worst one you have. That wasn't the point of a sacrifice to get rid of the worst you had, but rather to give God the best that you had. And we see here that this lamb is to be without blemish. We see in Hebrews chapter 9, it says this, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctifying for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 
see the correlation there? Uh, the Passover is pointing to uh, a lamb without defect, a lamb without blemish. And scripture tells us that Christ himself was without blemish. And the reason why was to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So obviously this, this lamb that was used in the Passover was to symbolize the holiness that the Christ would have. That he would be without sin. He would be tempted in every way, but would be without sin. Christ was the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And let me rephrase that because I said that wrong. I said was. Christ is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And the, the way he did that and the reason he did that was because he himself was without sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. And as we look at the Passover story and how they're supposed to take this lamb without defect, it is pointing to, again, the Savior that we would have in Christ. The people were to, were to partake in the lamb who was without blemish. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Third thing about the Passover is this, that blood was a necessity. You see, when it came to the Passover, God could have done everything himself. Everything by himself without, without any participation from anyone else. He could have just taken care of everything without the Israelites, but he chose to involve them. And their involvement was to obey him by carrying out his instructions. Look at verse 7, Exodus 12, verse 7. God tells Moses, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Now, when we, you may ask the question, why, why blood? And it makes sense whenever you see the sacrificial system that would be set up uh, for the forgiveness of sins, that, that it was the blood that made the difference. And here, the lamb's blood uh, here that we see that is spread over the doorpost, the lamb's blood here specifically uh, did not have the forgiving power, but rather it pointed to the forgiving power of the true lamb of God who would come to take away the sins of the world. Here, people were shown mercy and, and, and judgment passed over them as they showed obedience to God by placing the blood on the doorpost as a sign of, of Christ. Look at Exodus 12, verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Going back to, you know, I always like to go back to my sermon summary for number one, to make sure that I'm on track and Number two, so that you can see the correlation. My sermon, my sermon summary said this, those who trust in Christ can draw near to God with a pure heart and with, a, with full assurance of faith. 
knowing that they have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, it, it paints a beautiful picture of how his church, how his saints, his children would be marked by the blood of Christ. I hope that we realize how blessed we are as God's people. I know we walk around many days defeated by our circumstances, tired, just plain tired of being tired, and we forget who we belong to. You see, the Egyptians, they spent 420 years excuse me, the Israelites spent 420 years, around 420 years, being held captive by the Egyptians. They spent over 420 years being held as slaves, being oppressed in every way. That's a long time. And I bet during that time, they asked this question, where is our God? And they wondered, has he forgotten us? Has he neglected us? Will he be against us forever? All those different questions that I bet you have asked one, at one time or another. And the one thing that we have to remember is that we are marked by the blood of Christ. We have, God has blessed us and given us the faith to believe in Christ, to trust him with our lives, to trust him with our souls. And it doesn't matter how, how long you walk this earth, and it doesn't matter what you go through while you walk this earth, you are marked by the blood of Christ. And that gives you benefits here and now and also in the future. As God has said, he will judge all nations. As we have seen in the plagues, some will receive his wrath, some will receive his mercy. To those who receive his wrath, it's going to be a terrible thing. To those who receive his mercy, as in the Passover, his wrath will pass over us because we are marked by the blood of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful picture of what God had willed to do. And we get to look back at it and celebrate the fact that we are in Christ. We get a glimpse of the future by looking towards the past. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, again, this is showing how God executes judgments. God God says, I will judge the nations one day, all of them, a final judgment. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I think about I've thought about in the past, how is that going to look like? What is going to happen exactly? Well, in order to find out about the future, we can look back to the past. We see what God has done in the Passover. He will do it again on that day. His wrath to the ungodly, his mercy to those who are his. God used the blood of the lamb, or of the lamb, back then as a symbol 
of the purifying power the blood of Christ would have for his people. God's judgment has passed over you or will pass over you because Jesus Christ has shed his blood for you. Can I get an amen for that, please? Thank you. I don't usually beg for amens, but that one, come on. And now the fourth thing, the last thing. And I think this one is really cool. Verse 11, we, we, uh, well, before we go there, let's look at verse 8. The fourth thing is that the Passover feast was to be done quickly. It says with haste. Now, to me, I use the word cool because it's, it's, it's really neat that this in itself, that God is so detailed in, in, in what he wants to show us. God is so precise in what he does. Look at verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Now, I read that and I think, hey, that's cool. It's a barbecue. This is a Texas barbecue right here, right? I'm down for that. But he tells them, don't, don't use water, don't boil it, and don't eat it raw, obviously, but roast it. Roast it open on open fire and uh, use the bitter herbs. And by the way, make unleavened bread. And then we see in verse 11, he says, In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and with your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. I don't know about you, but this is pretty much every day at my house. Eat it in haste? Uh, I don't know how to eat slow, but so <laughs> I would have done all right in the Passover. But, but so we see that he is to they are to eat this quickly in haste. Um, when you look at the, 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 the lamb being roasted over fire, that is the quickest way to prepare a, a meal. You don't have to have any kind of pots or any kind of, any kind of vessel to hold water in to put the lamb in. Uh, anything like that, you basically just put it over the fire and you wait for it to be done. Um, so that was a quick way to cook it. Unleavened bread cooks very quick. Without yeast, it's made very quick. The bitter herbs, things that they can just pick that are natural to them, they are to use that instead of preparing anything else. And then it points to the fact that they should eat it with their belt fastened, their sandals on their feet and their staff in their hand. They shall be ready, right? They need to be ready for action. They need to be ready to do something. God is saying this, I'm about to execute my judgment on Egypt. And they're about to let you go. We don't want to be waiting for you. We don't want you to be held up by anything. In fact, it's going to take a matter of faith right now for you to, to do it the way I'm telling you. Because as soon as Pharaoh says, I, I understand that God is sovereign and you can go. Everybody here needs to be ready to go. Now, I know we can all relate to this on a Sunday morning, especially if you have kids, right? You say, y'all need to be ready to go when it's time to leave. And guess what happens? When it's time to leave, not everybody's ready to go. You got to send them back over for this, send them for that, send them for this. And, 
and it's delayed. God says there won't be no delays today. When it's time to go, it's time to go. To, it's time to go. You better be ready. You better be ready. I love how that points us to the gospel today. Listen to 1 Peter 1.13 as he says this. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that, we be, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.13. I always love this passage where he says, prepare your minds for action. You see, we are being told the same thing. Do not, do not be caught asleep. The Lord will come as a thief in the night. Do not be caught sleeping. Do not be caught resting. Spiritually speaking, he's saying all these things. Be ready for the second coming of Christ. Because it's going to be time to go. When he comes, it's time to go. So Peter is telling us we must prepare our minds for action. We can't afford just to sleepwalk through life. We have to be focused on the Lord. We have to be ready in season and out of season. We need to be sober-minded. We need to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Passover shows us we need to be ready. Again, as I said, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel that we hear on a daily basis today. It's a beautiful reminder that we need to be about the Lord's business. And it's also a beautiful reminder of what God has done for us. So as I said, you see both his love and his wrath in one story. I don't know about you, but I'm just so thankful that I'm the recipient of his love and not his wrath. I thank my God for that. Let us pray.